Thank you so much. For those of you that stood up then to honor me, I bless you. And for those of you who didn't, I pray for your legs that the Lord would give you strength. It's just a joke. It's always awkward, isn't it? Do I stand? Don't I stand? I've already been standing so much. Ah, thank you, Lord. You know, I want to continue this morning uh, preaching, or well, this afternoon now, preaching on the grace of God. And uh, Murray started us off last week out of uh, 1 um, Corinthians 15 and uh, did an amazing job just opening up to us the revelation that we've received this grace in Christ Jesus. We stand in this grace in Christ Jesus and we're being saved by this grace in Christ Jesus. And, um, and I loved how Murray just talked about the I think the biggest issue of the human heart outside of Christ. And, that, and, and even for those, if we have a worldly mentality in Christ, we can still find ourselves stuck, as I will show you in just a moment. But I loved how Murray talked about the mini-me. Do you remember the, the, the little Murray? You know, I call it the mini-me. The, my brother Russ calls it the mini-me, and I learned it from him. And then, you know, over here we have the big Murray. The, the, the maxi-me, the mini-me, the max-me. And, uh, you know, from the moment we were conceived, we were conceived into this mentality because this mentality is the mentality that the race of Adam have had from the moment that Adam chose not to obey God and with his wife Eve, and instead of obeying God, they broke the uh, eternal law and they chose their own destiny outside of God and they ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and in many respects that's what this whole thing is you know the evil little me and then the amazing good me that I can be to be impressive to cover up the reality I've got this horrible little re reality going on on the inside for me um, it it was when I was five years old that I became fully conscious of this reality and then continued to do my very best to perfect it even after getting saved. And it's only grace that set me free and continues to set me free. Um, but when I was five years old, Murray and I, our parents were missionaries in Nigeria for 20 years. And as part of the the, the call of God on their lives, my parents sent us both to boarding school. I was five and three quarters when uh, I was separated from my parents and sent to boarding school. And uh, it was a horrible experience, everybody. I just hated being separated from mom and dad. And I hated being separated from my brothers. And because I'm the oldest, uh, I had some serious separation anxiety. But how many of you know that in a moment like that, the devil probably wasn't the devil himself. I think Satan was probably doing something with someone else somewhere else in the world. But some little demon somewhere that was assigned the task of making sure that my life descended into a horrible cesspool of demonic thinking, uh, whispered into my heart, this little devil whispered into my heart when I was lying on my bed that first night, separated from mom and dad, and said, Duncan, you are a nothing and a nobody. You're a nothing and a nobody. You must be a nothing and a nobody because even your own mom and dad, 
That's right, the ones who you thought loved you so much. Yeah, well, even they have rejected you and now you're abandoned. And you're unworthy of their love. Come to think of it, you're unworthy of any love. Come to think of it, you're unworthy of anything. And there I am in my bed, sobbing my heart out into my pillow, believing, just, just open, a massive open door in my heart for the enemy to whisper a whole bunch of lies. Were any of those things true? Nope. My parents had not abandoned me. My parents had certainly not rejected me. And none of what was happening to me was because I was unworthy. In fact, all of it was because of the call of God and their good-heartedness in being obedient to Jesus. Now, I don't want you to judge my parents as to what they did, whether they did right or wrong. That's not for you and I to make a judgment over. And when they stand before Jesus, I'm sure they will have an amazing commendation for loving him more than anything else. But nevertheless, I was vulnerable in that moment and seemingly incapable of believing and accessing the truth. And the truth is that I'm accepted in the beloved, that's Jesus, I'm loved by God from before time began, and he has an amazing plan and purpose for my life. But in the midst of that pain, and in my union with sin, and my union with the race of Adam, I was incapable of accessing that truth. I was incapable of accessing in that moment the grace of God that was pursuing me in my life and as we shall see had been pursuing me from before time began. Now for each of you it might not have been boarding school but there's been a moment the enemy has worked you over one way or another and at some point before you were probably the age of 10 or a teenager the enemy had sowed sufficient lies into your heart that you too were believing the same things that I was believing that we're a nothing we're a nobody and that's why we've been rejected we will be rejected we've been abandoned and we will continue to be abandoned and by the way, if anybody finds out our little secret, that little truth that you're nothing and nobody and that you're shameful, you're going to be rejected and abandoned. So whatever you do, run, hide, cover it up. Don't let anyone know. That's what fear does. That's what fear whispers into our hearts. And so, and the, the worst, most horrible demonic fr friend of all is control who comes along and says, yeah, but don't worry. All you have to do is do what I tell you and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Nobody will find out our little secret that you suck. And nobody will find out and reject you and abandon you because you're so unworthy. You'll be fine as long as you do what I tell you. You'll never have to deal with shame and you'll never have to run. You'll always be the best. Come on now. Come out of the little you. Let's go to the big you. Let's introduce you to somebody that you can be to make sure nobody ever rejects you. Here it goes. Five years old. Five and three quarters year old. You know what? Nobody's going to reject you if you're the smartest kid in the class. First report card. C+. Plus. B minus, C plus. It didn't take 
the gift of interpretation to know that my report card was not confirming that I was the smartest in the class. In fact, sitting down with my dad, and I could tell he's looking for all the A's and they just weren't there. Oh, that's right, you suck, don't you? You're just not smart, says that nasty little demon control. Don't worry about it. All you got to do is be the best at sports. Come on, you can kick a foot soccer ball. Come on. What's wrong with you? You got two left feet? Oh my gosh, you can't even kick a soccer ball. Don't worry, softball. You can hit the softball. What are you, blind? You can't even see the ball. You've been struck out three times for the last three months. You just really suck. But don't worry, you could become a musician. Yeah, you could be a drummer. Oh, sucks to be you, doesn't it? Born in Nigeria, but you're not a black man. You're a white man with a black man trapped in a white skin. And you don't have any rhythm. Oh, dear. Don't worry. You could play the guitar. Oh, but you don't have the patience, do you? And by the way, whenever you play the guitar, you make this silly face. And nobody wants to see that face. The clarinet, we could stick it in your mouth and shut you up, and then you could blow that clarinet. Oh, but... Wow, nobody ever wants to hear a clarinet player. <laughs> dear, oh dear, you really do. Well, there are people, don't get caught up on that one. There's those that love the clarinet. I'm talking about what the devil said to me, not what's true. And so it went on. A constant battle to be a someone in control, to be the big me, to show the world that I'm a somebody. Then I got saved. Then I got saved. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ came to me. And I got radically saved. And I got joined to Christ. I was eternally separated from my sin and forever joined to Jesus. Adam had joined me to his sin and the sin of the human race. My sin had condemned me to an eternity in fire. But Jesus came as the last Adam, as 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to say. And he set me free by dying on the cross as my sin, for my sin, with my sin. And he separated me from my sin when he took all of my sin and your sin and the sin of the world into the fiery lake of burning sulfur and he threw it in there forever. And he made a way so that because we, he had united himself to us in our sin and death, now we were united with him in his life and in his righteousness. And now because he's alive, when the father raised him from the dead, the reason why the Bible uses almost every single Greek word for power known to the Greek language in Ephesians 1.19 is because Paul is running out of superlatives to describe the greatness of the exceeding power that God the Father exerted in his son when he raised Jesus out from the death, out from death and out of the grave, united to you and I and lifted his son up forever to the highest place above all. And in doing that, lifted us all with him. Yeah! The greatest victory the universe has ever witnessed. The moment of resurrection power when Christ was raised from the dead, but so were you. 
And you're alive because he's alive. And the Bible goes on to tell us in Ephesians 2 verse 6 that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. We're in Christ Jesus now, everybody. Shikabanga. You are in Christ. He is your life. You're in him. You're no longer the mini you who's a nothing and a nobody in Adam. And you're no longer the maximum you in Adam trying to be all things that you could possibly be to hide that little you over there. No, you are now united in Christ and you're a new creation. You are a new man, a new woman united with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And that was a gift of grace for you. However, however, The enemy, he's such a dirty, foul player. He doesn't care if he fouls out there on the football field. He doesn't want to play by any rules. He's been a lawbreaker from the beginning. So he's not playing by the rules. So he comes along and he whispers into your little heart, your new born again heart. (laughs) Hey, you know, So you're saved, huh? Born again now. Woo! Wow! Yeah. How come you still lust? And uh, how come you still look at pornography? And how come you want to cheat on your taxes? And how come come you're, you're beating your brother and sister up that was your friend? Your brother and sister in Christ that was your friend just because you found out that they voted a different political party than you last year. Oh, yeah, the love that united you to Christ is now separating you as friends. Oh, what makes you think you're so saved? Let's face it, the whole church is nice. Look at them all. They're lovely. I mean, come on. Look at Duncan and Kate. So sweet. Till you come to our house, find out we're just like you. Right, Murray and Ash? And so the enemy comes and whispers his lies and says, hey, look at everybody else. They're nice, but you're not. Remember that little issue? Yeah. Well, now in the midst of all these nice people, they're not like the worldly people that you were with before you got saved. These are all the nice people. These are the nicest, most loving people on planet Earth. And they're going to find out you suck. And if you think abandonment was an issue before you were saved, you wait till you find out what it feels like to be abandoned by people that walk in love. You're going to really, really hate your life. So you know what you need to do? You need to make sure that none of these born-again believers around you, that's right, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the saints, let's make sure they never find out our little secret that you're a nothing and a nobody. And let's make sure that by making sure, says control, that you're the best Christian you can be. All you've got to do is listen to me. Read your Bible. Pray. Fast. Go to church every Sunday. Oh my gosh. Read your Bible, pray. Fast, fast, 
Read your Bible, pray. Fast, fast. 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 Lean, lean, lean. I'm really leaning. Bind that devil. Cast out that sickness. Do it all. You can do it. You're a man of God. Oh, too bad. Sucks to be you, doesn't it? You're sick in bed. You can't pray. And you hate reading the Bible. Wow. You see, same rules, same game, same rules. Same easy doorway if it's all about you. I thank God that Christianity is not all about me, not all about you. It's all about Jesus. I thank God (laughs) that I don't have to pray to be saved. I thank God that I don't have to read my Bible ever again to be saved. I thank God that I don't ever have to fast to be saved. Now, will I pray? Will I read my Bible? Will I fast? Yes, but not to be saved, but because I'm saved. Because I'm devoted to the one who saved me. Because the grace of God that saved me is also the grace of God that's propelling me to know Christ deeper. The same love that found me and rescued me is the same love that's now controlling me, hemming me in, but also thrusting me out to a world that's desperate for love. I want you to turn with me, please, to 2 Timothy, chapter 1. 2 Timothy, chapter 1. I thank, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, Paul says. Actually, let's just go a little bit back. (laughs) Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the who? By the Will. will of who? God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you imagine Timothy reading this from the very, very first time? You know, he didn't have a Bible to open and go, where's 2 Timothy again? He's receiving this letter from the most awesome apostle on the face of planet Earth who despite the fact that he's in prison in chains, is more effective than he ever was when he was walking around free. More people are getting saved through Paul's ministry while he's in chains in prison than ever got saved when he was walking around in the cities. Why? Because the fruit of his work were out there reaching the lost. It's one thing to be a disciple and have disciples. It's a whole other thing to be a discipler of disciples who disciple others. And God's called you by the grace of God, not just to to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, but he's also called you to be a discipler of others to follow Jesus. And being a discipler of others is a higher calling than being a disciple. Is there only one person in here who's excited about being a discipler? That's... That's uh, Ashling because she's going to San Diego to plant a church. Shakaraba. Okay. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. 
greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. I want you to notice that Paul is not saying, I pray night and day for you so that I can be saved through my prayers and through the amazing work on my knees before God. No, his motivation for prayer is right there in the next verse that we just read. His motivation for praying for Timothy without ceasing, remembering him in his prayers night and day was what? Joy, that I may be filled with joy and greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. Love is motivating him to prayer. Do you know you will always do far more in love for the one that you love than you ever will when you're trying to serve? When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. I think this verse is just amazing because it shows us that God and the grace of God in our lives is able to forever alter the course of not just our own lives, but the generations that come behind us, that come after us from, the, from our own loins. I thank God that all of those nasty lies, both the lies that I believed before I got saved and then all the nasty lies that the Lord has, has worked so wonderfully, not, not just me, but the grace of God at work in me to set me free from believing all those lies that Christianity is about my prayers and my, my going to church, my works, my gifts of goodness to the poor or whatever it might be. All of those things are just eradicated more and more from my life because the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is becoming the thing that I live in more and more. But I thank God that that reality has altered the course of our three daughters' lives and through our daughters and our son-in-law, Aaron, who is leading worship so beautifully with Karis this morning, our grandchildren that are his children, Jude, Zoe, and Selah, those three kids are absolutely free in grace and not living in a world of lies like I was. Why? Because what started in Eunice that went to Lois and now has come to Timothy. What started in my mom and dad came to Kate and I, went to Jess and Aaron and now in our grandchildren. You guys, listen to me. Reach up right now. Take hold of grace because this grace will alter the course of every person from your generational line after you. Take it and pull it down. Jesus' name by faith. Right. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And right now, when we're in a world that's just discombobulating seemingly in so many ways, and certainly we're aware of that because we have access to more information than any other generation that's gone before us, it's easy to be overwhelmed with fear. Oh my gosh, that coronavirus, is it going to come near me? Is it going to come and alter all of our lives? What the heck's happening? Oh no, no. In the name of Jesus, coronavirus does not come near us. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. And so instead of walking out of fear, and and did you know that fear is literally negative faith? That in the same way that faith in the positive creates your world and brings the impossible into the possible, fear is like demonic faith 
dressed up to bring it to you according to your faith. And the, the, very, the Bible says the very thing that you're fearful of becomes the very thing that you experience. Why? Because it's like negative faith. So be careful what you entertain. Death, let me say this, sickness is death slowed down. If you think about it, if you didn't have an immune system that was functioning well, the simplest sickness, the simplest pathogen would end your life because all sickness is death slowed down. Which is why, by the way, in our family, we've taught our family and we teach you, all of you, do not entertain or put up with a tiny scrap of sickness. Don't expect it, don't entertain it, don't welcome it, don't toy with it, reject it in the name of Jesus. The Lord taught me that with canker sores. The tiny little feeling I'd get on my tongue, oh no, a canker sore. And then a huge canker sore would develop that would last three weeks, the size of one of my fingernails on my tongue. And the Holy Spirit used that years ago in my 20s to teach me that I'm a biology graduate. That canker sore was caused by a virus. When you say no to a tiny, tiny temptation, you say no to sin, correct? Well, when you say no to a tiny little bit of sickness, the symptoms, you're saying no to death. And the Lord taught me, and I said, eh, eh, I'll be driving in my car, because that would be normally the time that I would, um... oh no, I'm getting it again. Oh no, it's going to grow and it's going to, it's tiny, but it's going to grow, it's going to get bigger. Yeah, I'm going to be paralyzed. Can't even talk properly because my, my tongue is so swollen. I can't speak. And the Holy Spirit would say, Rise up, son. Reject it in the name of Jesus. And be like, ah, Get off in Jesus' name. And you know what? Within a few minutes, totally gone. And I never suffered from those canker sores again. And you can do the same. Make sure you do that with coronavirus. Do not entertain that it's coming anywhere near your house or anyone that you know, in Jesus' name. Pastoring the church now. All right. Now, where did I get to? Thank you, Murray. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us, listen to this, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles." For this reason, I also suffer those things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that glorious day. Folks, I want you to notice 
that this glorious grace that we've been talking about, that we introduced last week, that we're talking about today, this grace, the Romans 5 verse 2, Paul says, the grace in which we stand, this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus when? When we were born again? Nope. When we were born? Nope. When we were conceived? Nope. When Jesus died on the cross, sort of. But the reality is the Bible tells us before time began. And I said sort of because he's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. See, here's the thing, everybody. The grace of God is this, that he gave you grace before time began. Come on, just let that sink in a moment. The grace of God came to you before you ever told a lie. The grace of God came to you before you, you sinned sexually. The grace of God came to you before you sinned economically. The grace of God came to you before you were jealous of anyone. The grace of God came to you before you had a prideful thought. The grace of God came long before you were thinking all the mini-me lies. And by the way, thinking all those mini-me lies and agreeing with the devil is sin. But long before we sinned, long before we got it all together, long before time ever began, God lavished his grace on us. God purposed to place us in his son and then heaped abundant grace onto us. So much grace on us, you could swim for an eternity and still not get to the end of the grace that God has given to you because the Bible tells us it is abounding grace. Abounding grace. Turn with me to Romans 5. If through the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, speaking of Adam, much more, verse 17, sorry, much more, everybody say much more, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as through one man's offense, judgment came to all human beings, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act of dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, the free gift came to all human beings, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense may, be, may abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Now think about how powerful sin is. Even as Christians, we struggle with sin. We struggle with temptation. We get a tempting thought. We entertain that tempting thought. And before we know it, 
sin has hooked us again and is pulling us over into the edge of the abyss. And it feels like it's powerful. We don't know how we can get out of it. We don't know how to make it right. We don't want to tell anyone. We don't want to bring it into life. It feels powerful. But Paul's saying, as much as that sin's powerful, grace is all the more powerful. Grace is all the more powerful. And grace is constantly working. This free gift of grace is constantly working. And it's abounding, abundant grace. Let me show you how it works. In Psalm chapter 5 and verse 12, the writer of the Psalm says, Your favor, O Lord, surrounds me like a shield. Favor, grace are one and the same. The grace of God is the unmerited favor of a good and perfect God who does not, who does not demand an equal righteousness from any of us in order to relate to him. But instead, gives us his grace, gives us his love, makes us worthy, gives us his righteousness, gives us the right to stand, fills us with joy, and then says, now we can have a face-to-face relationship and my glory can emanate through you. So this unmerited favor, the Bible says, surrounds us like a shield. What does that mean? It means that in our lives, when we're at home with our kids, when we're at work, when we're out out and about, when we're watching the TV, when there's somebody somewhere, okay, who is our worst nightmare. Think about for just a moment, who's the worst person in your life? Who do you struggle with more than anyone else? You might have a child that's like super rebellious. Just because they're your child doesn't mean they're easy. Notice that? You might have a boss who's super difficult to work for, highly demanding. You might have a colleague that's always pushing you out of the way and striving to be the best and striving for significance. And you're like... (coughs) I mean, I hope it's not me. But each of us have someone in our, it could, be our, it could be our husband or our wife or our parents. But every one of us has someone in our lives that's really, really difficult. Well, the psalmist says, good news. The favor of God surrounds you like a shield. When you wake up tomorrow, Monday morning, and you walk into your into your office or into your pickup truck for work or you walk into your sit next to your in front of your computer because you're a techie or whatever it happens to be in that moment the favor of God that surrounds you like a shield the grace of God that called you justified you and saved you from before time began that grace has already worked to touch that person think about it like this they might have a Serious aggression towards you. Figuratively be speaking, figuratively speaking might be like this towards you. Yeah! I used to have to practice my face for my kids when I was telling some crazy story. Yeah! But this is how it works. The grace of God. Here's that person over there. The grace of God. Oh, there's you over there. Here's this person running towards you. Yeah! Because they just walked into your atmosphere. What's your atmosphere? Grace. What's your atmosphere? Favor. 
What's your, what is working in your life constantly to turn everything to good? Your atmosphere. And what is that atmosphere? Jesus Christ, the grace of God, working on your behalf. Changing whatever it is, agenda that they might have towards you that's evil, instantly changing it to good. Whatever agenda they might have before you walk in, you're arriving, you park up your car in the car park, you're going up, that person, your boss is sitting there, you know, we need to make some layoffs. What with coronavirus, everything going on right now, who knows where the economy's going. You know what, I think I'm going to have to make some layoffs. So, yep, the highest paid, they get to go first. That's right, yeah, that Duncan Smith, I'm, he's the one I'm going to take out first. Yep, I'm going to have to fire him today. Okay, Duncan Smith, yep, send this letter. I'm just about to send an email to HR, human resources, to tell them, please organize, Duncan Smith is coming off the payroll. He's going to be fired, do a nice severance package, whatever, but we're done with that guy. We can't do it. We can't risk having such a big salary. And so there's Duncan Smith, drives into the car park. One of you guys, Monday morning, this is you. I'm saying Duncan Smith, but it's you. You drive in, you park up your nice little, you know, Mercedes or whatever, grace of God, and you walk up and... You, the moment you open that door, that person's like, yeah, but you know what? Actually, not them. Because, um, you know, actually, they're actually really useful. I'm not going to, no, not them. In fact, I'm not going to make any layoffs at all. In fact, that Duncan Smith, you know, it's been a long time since we've actually given him a pay rise. Send him a pay rise. Coronavirus isn't coming to us. Send him a pay rise. That's the grace of God, everybody. That's what's working in your life. It's not the mini you. It's not the maximum you. It's the Jesus you. And your life is a different life in Christ. Let's stand, everybody. Moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded so much more. Why? Why does grace abound? We just, we just did the, um, the offering declaration and in that we wrote that and put in that my favorite verse, 2 Corinthians 9.8, one of my favorite verses. This amazing God is able to make all grace abound to you so that have, having all sufficiency you may abound in grace, abound in all things. Why? Why is all this, where does all this abundance all come from? Where does this grace come from? It's right here in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth, verse 16. And of Jesus' fullness, of the Word's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Let's lift up your hands right now as a whole body of Christ. Let the, let the God of all grace lavish you with his grace right now. Let, the, let him give you grace from the fullness of himself. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, let the revelation of the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, permeate every single one of us, all of our thinking, all of our emotions, all of our mindsets, Lord, so that in everything we walk in grace, we walk in your favor, Lord, and we give that grace away, we give that favor away. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, that great grace was upon the early church. Just right now, with your hands open, ask the Lord, Lord, would you cause great grace to be my experience? Would you give me an atmosphere around me that's great grace? Great grace. Great grace with my wife. Great grace with my husband. Great grace for my children. Great grace for my employment, for work. Great grace with amazing ideas, creative ideas. Great grace, Lord. And Lord, I ask you that salvation, that same grace that I receive from you, let that grace pursue everyone in my world. That the Word of God Himself the word of grace would come out of me and go before me and bring the lost sons and daughters home through me. Okay. Just reach up one more time. Ask God. The Bible tells us that Stephen, one of the earliest disciples and followers of Jesus, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, that Stephen was a man that walked in grace and power so that he performed phenomenal signs, wonders, and miracles. Lord, I ask you that you would baptize us all as a whole family, church family, that every one of us would be like Stephen, immersed in great grace and power so that you could enable us to live a life where in everyday lives, not as celebrities, not like Christian celebrities, but in everyday lives, every one of us constantly making you, Jesus, the one that everybody celebrates through your miracles, signs and wonders done through us. 